this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we're going to be talking about blue-black in Neon Dynasty. Blue-black is the winningest archetype in the format by a considerable margin. It wins 0.5% more matches than the next best archetype on 17 lands from among two-color pairs. 0.5% uh, might not sound like a lot, but in this kind of context, it's a pretty big deal. Also, it is simultaneously the most drafted color pair by a significant margin. So anytime an archetype can win the most while being the most drafted, there is substantial evidence that it's the most powerful. As if you win a lot, but you're underdrafted, it might just be that you should be drafting it more and then they won't win as much, which still could be true when it's the most drafted, but it would only be because it's better than everything else, basically. So. On a surface level, blue-black is reasonably safe to call the strongest archetype in Neon Dynasty. That said, I personally don't draft it very much. And I think that there are kind of, as I think about it, two poles that this archetype can kind of gravitate toward. One is a more aggressive ninja build, and the other is a more controlling artifact build. And I think that the ninja build is better and more common, but I personally have not earned a single trophy with the ninja build, while I've earned a few trophies with more controlling versions of blue-black. What this is to say is that this is a interesting topic for me to try to cover because I think that I, it's hard for me to speak to players who have been playing this format, and I assume that most players who are still interested in this at the time of recording, at least, are people who have been playing this format as we're at the end of the format. So I kind of feel like I'm likely talking to people who have more experience with this archetype than I do. And so I'm going to try to do what I can to share my perspective on it and point to some of what the data says about it. But this one's just an interesting one with regard to my own level of expertise about uh, this archetype, which is a weird place to be for an archetype that's obviously so good. I suspect that the reason that I personally have shied away from it is that I think early on, I kind of pushed drafting the blue-black ninja deck as a more aggressive, more synergy-based deck than it really needs to be. I, as a player, have a tendency to really push synergies and find extreme versions of decks, as you can see pretty clearly with, for example, the advice that I gave on red-green, where I suggested drafting it with a substantially lower curve than people would be naturally inclined to do. And with blue-black, I don't think that that was correct. I think that because blue-black is so good, it can easily compete with most decks on raw card quality and there are kind of no wrong ways to attack building a synergistic blue-black deck because there are a bunch of overlapping synergies with cards that 
comfortably play multiple roles such that the good cards all just kind of work together without you really needing to try very hard or go very far out of your way to make them work together. One way or another, if you combine the blue and black commons, synergies are just going to fall into place. And so going far out of your way to lock into a narrow strategy might involve sacrificing some amount of power and flexibility, where just kind of taking the good cards and existing in a slightly more mid-range space is often going to be the best way to approach blue-black in this format. Assuming that that's correct, what this really reminds me of is blue-black in Midnight Hunt, which is another format where I approached the archetype in a similarly fraught way, where I was kind of trying to figure out like, okay, am I supposed to do some really controlling stuff that takes advantage of the fact that devious cover-up is in this format? No, the decayed stuff is like too aggressive for that. I need to find some other path. Am I supposed to go like curve aggro? No, like diagraph horde is too strong for that. And the answer is, you're just supposed to be kind of mid-range soup with all the good cards. And I think that that's basically where we end up in Neon Dynasty Blueback, except that the good cards happen to be a little bit cheaper. And so you naturally end up with a slightly lower curve, which the deck wants because Ninjutsu is an expensive ability and offers some kind of built-in mana sink. But you're really not trying to like push very hard to think of yourself as an aggro deck or a control deck or a synergy deck. You're just playing a bunch of good stuff, generally more proactive than reactive. You want to be like playing creatures that are giving you some kind of advantage, attacking your opponent evasively, rather than trying to play reactive cards like counter spells and card draw. You, you don't really want to be trying to grind your opponent out. Those cards are some of the least successful. And so the cards that perform the best, the commons that perform the best, are the same commons that we've been seeing that do well in these color combinations and other archetypes. So the standard top blue commons, though the modern age is typically the best blue common in blue-black. I've mentioned frequently when talking about blue that the modern is the best, except the other good ones are all ninjas. And the more you kind of go down that, nin well, ninjas are nin ninjas, rogues, ninja support cards. The more you go down that ninja path, the more you want the like explicit ninja cards over the modern age, which is still works reasonably well with ninjas, but doesn't scale up in quality as much as the other ninjas do. And then because Blue and Black has other ninja support cards, the Modern Age drops a little bit relative to Network Disruptor, Moon Circuit Hacker, Suit Up, and Moon Snare Specialist, which are the like dedicated good blue ninja cards. So we still see that same package of cards at the top. It just happens to be, according to win rates, Network Disruptor, followed by Moon Circuit Hacker, followed by Suit Up, followed by Modern Age, followed by Moon Snare Specialist, instead of in some other order. But those are all within just over a percent of each other. It's this, the exact same five blue cards that have been good in general are good here. 
slightly different order, but it's all really, really close. And for the most part, any of those cards interchangeable with any of the other cards if you have some specific reason to believe that your deck might want one over another. With black, we have a similar situation where the best black commons I think are basically always Okiba Reckoner Raid, Virus Beetle, and Army of Terrible Secrets, and Twisted Embrace in some order. In blue-black by the numbers, it's Okiba Reckoner Raid, followed by Virus Beetle, followed by Army of Terrible Secrets, followed by Twisted Embrace, but Virus Beetle and Okiba Reckoner Raid uh, are far ahead of Kami of Terrible Secrets and Twisted Embrace, which are very close to each other. And if you're building your deck out of those nine cards primarily, your deck is going to be outstanding. All of those cards are great. It doesn't matter what combination they're in, as long as you're not playing unported Kami of Terrible Secrets. I think with Kami of Terrible Secrets, for it to be ported, you want to be looking at like at least 12 artifacts plus enchantments with at least five each of artifacts and enchantments. And then the more you bring up your total and uh, whichever one you have fewer of, the better it gets. Those cards plus Searchlight Companion, the three mana artifact 1 1 flyer that makes a 1 1, to bring us up to 10 real great key blue and black cards. All of those have win percentages at or a touch below 60%, and those are all premium commons. And then the fact that there are 10 of these premium commons explains why this archetype is so successful despite being so drafted, because that's really pretty deep in this format. And then you consider that there are uh, five additional blue and black commons in Mercatai, Ambusher, Clawing Torment, Inkrise, Infiltrator, she's Shadow Walker, and Lethal Exploit that win over 58% of the time. You have a lot of tools to work with. And all of those, that batch of cards are things that I think are a little bit more narrow. Not necessarily every blue black deck wants them. They all skew a little bit more toward the like aggressive ninja end of the pull that I was the two poles that I was talking about. Inkrai's Infiltrator is a good aggressive creature for enabling ninjas. Dukuchi Shadow Walker is a good aggressive ninja. Clawing Torment is a card that's always good when you're aggressive, worse when you're controlling. Lethal Exploit is less good than those in the ninja deck. Generally acceptable, but not exciting. All of that stuff is kind of your fundamental. The right thing to do is treat this like Midnight Hunt blue-black, but with, you know, all different cards, but where, again, you just want to understand what the good cards are, draft the good cards over the less good cards, and just trust that it's going to work out. You're going to be prioritizing your good sagas, your ninja stuff, your ninja stuff that isn't sagas, some portion of the time it's artifacts and network disruptor, enchantments and moon circuit hacker. Virus beetle is a good artifact. So you have good types. Even your removal spell twisted embrace is an enchantment, which is the harder type to get blue black to enable your economy of terrible secrets. And it all just like works out pretty well. So that is all under the kind of like, well, this is the normal way to draft this. This is the stuff you probably already know. This is like good deck that is drafted a lot. Great, pretty easy. I don't have a lot to add to it outside of just like, you know, trust the stats, draft the good cards, it'll work. 
the deck that um, you have to work harder for, which is because I'm somewhat twisted, desirable for me in some way, is the uh, blue-black control deck that focuses more on artifact synergies and attempts to win despite playing much worse cards. <laughs> Which uh, I'm not doing a good job of selling this deck and that's intentional. I don't think that you should be looking to be sold on this deck. But because it is something that I have had with experience and success with, I feel like it's appropriate for me to speak to. So there is a worse way to draft blue-black, probably, that uses cards that win much less, but that do have some synergy between each other. So Mnemonic Sphere plays very well, abstractly and theoretically, with Disruption Protocol in that if you have a Mnemonic Sphere in play and two mana up and you pass the turn, you can either use two mana and the Mnemonic Sphere to play your Disruption Protocol, or if you don't want to counter anything, you can use that mana to sacrifice the Mnemonic Sphere to draw two cards. Similarly, Thirst for Knowledge plays very well with Mirror Shell Crab in that if your opponent doesn't does something that you need to counter, you can channel the Mirror Shell Crab to counter it. And if they don't, you can cast Thirst for Knowledge, and you know that you have at least the Mirror Shell Crab in your hand as an artifact that you can discard to it. You can combine these pairs in different ways that are also effective. And if you draft those cards collectively, you can have a deck that does a good job of having the card advantage or counterspell package that is kind of emblematic of what one is looking for in a control deck in general. And then you can pair that with cheap threats and removal, which blue and black have access to. Doing this involves putting a bunch of cards that win somewhere in the neighborhood of 53% of their matches across the board when people play them in this color pair, instead of cards that win 60% of their matches across the board when people play this color pair. So it is really, really not encouraged, but I do it anyway. And <laughs> this feels increasingly like some sort of support group where I'm um, admitting my hangups and faults as a magic player, but here we are. So I'm gonna power through. When in this space, I think that this kind of deck can use uh, replication specialist very well because you're looking to play a longer game and play more artifacts um, generally and replication specialist is about that stuff. When you're trying to play this longer game, the lower impact, cheaper cards that play well in the ninja decks should not be prioritized as highly. So cards like Network Disruptor and Moon Circuit Hacker. Similarly, cards that benefit from having those cheaper, more aggressive cards in your deck, like Dukuchi Shadowbroker, shouldn't be played. So this deck is really much more controlling. Um, you want removal, you want to use a lethal exploit because it's acceptable removal. Sometimes you end up playing Shrine Steward if you have multiple Twisted Embraces as a way to get 
more hard removal. And of course, as with any sort of control deck that I'm drafting in this format, but especially that's already playing black and artifacts, you really want to be in a spot where you can use and prioritize my favorite black common, which is Kami of Terrible Secrets. And I think that if you're combining these cards strategically rather than playing a few of them haphazardly in an otherwise normal aggressive blue-black deck, you can get a deck that actually works pretty well where these cards individually perform better than their stats would indicate. I suspect that what's happening and part of why these cards have such bad stats is that people are playing, you know, the counter spells in decks that aren't built to use mana that's untapped on their opponent's turn and instead playing counter spells with ninja creatures where your ninjas are asking you to spend mana at sorcery speed to get to spending more mana at sorcery speed to replay the creature that you've returned. And that's not good. Like the, the counter spells aren't generally good with the ninjas, even though they are good with cheap cards, unless you specifically have like all cheap creatures and cheap ninjas and stuff. Similarly, the card isn't very good when your ninjas are giving you more stuff to spend your mana on. Like, these cards don't play well in small doses in normal blue and black decks. If you want to play any of them, you have to approach building your deck entirely differently. But again, I still mostly think that when you do that, you're committing to playing a weaker deck overall, given how strong the blue and black normal aggressive ninja deck is. Which brings us to a reasonable question, why would you ever do this? which actually I think has a reasonable answer, which is, well, blue and black are really, really strong and very heavily drafted. And if you are correctly drafting them fairly often because of how good they are, some reasonable portion of the time, you're going to end up at a table where other people around you are also drafting them. And you're going to have to figure out how to end up with a playable deck in contested colors. So. A good solution to that situation is to figure out if one of those colors is more important than the other and if you can abandon and pivot into some other deck that wants similar cards. Maybe you pivot into red-black, maybe you pivot into blue-white. There are a lot of reasonable escapes. Maybe you pivot into like a green deck that's using both your blue and black cards. That would be a common escape for me. So there are, there are other solutions to the problem of what happens if you start blue-black and find that other people are also drafting blue-black. But a potential tool that could be the arsenal of how do I draft blue-black when it is tested, as it often will be, can be uh, I draft it as blue-black control and use uh, these cards that exist in reasonably high density and work well together that other people shouldn't and usually don't. And I will try to make a deck that has enough synergy that it can use these less desirable cards well. Again, this is getting more time because I think it's less well known, not because I think it's better. By all means, if the good premium cards that I discussed earlier are available, you should just be taking them. And as to, well, what does my deck do? It just casts all premium blue and black cards. It'll sort itself out.
not much to add. I think that the like just kind of generic which blue and black cards are good is pretty well understood at this point. Life of Toshiro Umazawa and Behold the Unspeakable are both awesome uncommons. For what it's worth, life is stronger, costing two mana is a real deal. It is very, very hard for an aggressive deck to win if you cast life and kill one of their creatures. A substantial portion of decks in this format are aggressive. Blue-black is often pretty good at beating the decks that aren't aggressive by going under them anyway. So there's that. Hoverbike is a card that I slept on a little bit early, but is really, really high-speed hoverbike. The um, uncommon 2-mana uh, 2-2 flying flash vehicle that taps something that enters the battlefield. It's a very strong card in blue-black. You should take it highly. It is a premium uncommon though not on the level of those sagas. Yeah, uh, I think that's what I have to say about Blue Black, but looking forward to discussion questions with Twitch on this one. So Twitch chat, if you have any questions or comments about Blue and Black, post those in the chat. No new patrons this week. Nobody to thank, sadly, but hoping to pick up some steam as we get into a new format with new Kepenic coming out. I know that as we get to these last few archetypes in a format, people are often looking to move on to other things. We have Arena Cube coming up later this week, and interest here is winding down. It's okay. We have one more archetype we'll cover next week in green-white, and then we will be into new Kepenic. So, any questions? First up, for the controlling blue-black deck, is Splashing White a good idea? Spirited Companion and Imperial Oath seem to play well with the archetype, but I'm not sure if they work with the blue instance. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I like splashing any or all colors in my blue-black control deck. Um, Network Terminal is a card that I actually like in blue-black control quite a bit. Uh, I think that the loon can be pretty valuable late and... I like it just as another artifact for Kami of Terrible Secrets, and the deck uses mana well, so playing a card that ramps is pretty good. And then, of course, the longer your game is, the more value you get out of the thing, and the deck tends to get a lot of value there. Also, because you're playing uh, fewer cheap cards, tap lands don't hurt you very much. So most of my blue-black control decks have splashed at least one color. My most successful ones have been splashing just a touch of red, for things like the activated ability on Hidetsugu or Fable the Mirror Breaker, but certainly Imperial Oath is a good common finisher, stabilizer, way to turn the corner in any sort of controlling deck. And Spirited Companion, if you have enough white mana, is always great for enabling the Kami of Terrible Secrets draw ability. So yes, those white cards, as well as Intercessor rest especially when combined with shrine steward as a way to get enough removal auras to want to play the shrine steward those three cards in particular are excellent splashes uh, there are others available at higher rarities well spirit companion is somewhere not exactly an excellent splash but has a place if you have enough white mana for it yeah th there are similarly some good red and occasionally good green cards to splash for sure. Next up, blue-black fairly aggro is bad at splashing. How good would the card be to make you splash? So 
This is an interesting question because, so I fully agree with the premise. Aggro decks in general don't wish to splash. Blue and black does want to be aggro. That would indicate that it doesn't want to splash. But as I mentioned, I don't think that blue black wants to be obsessively aggro. I think it actually wants to be kind of in the mid-range space where you're not really giving up any of the good commons to facilitate a cheaper, more aggressive curve most of the time. And so given that you're going to exist somewhere on that spectrum, some portion of the time you will be like tilting into the mid-range space. And if you do end up with good cards to splash, you can pivot a little bit more in the mid-range space without giving up too much. As far as how good would the card have to be to make you splash? That's not the kind of thing where I can say I would splash this card, I wouldn't splash this card because it's going to come down to how cheaply available is fixing, what are the opportunity costs when I see the opportunities to take, you know, dual lands ideally, network terminals potentially that will facilitate that splash. How many modern ages do I have that might let me discard the card if I can't cast it or will do a good job of digging to mana that I miss? So there are a lot of factors that uh, play into, like, does this deck splash reasonably well without giving too much up to facilitate a card? I do think that, you know, cards that are as strong and synergistic as, for example, Kappa Tech Wrecker, are usually going to be worth splashing. You know, like, should you generally splash Imperial Oath? Hard to give a general answer to that. It really depends on where exactly you are on the, uh, you know, aggressive to control spectrum and how cheaply you can get your fixing and just what role exactly that card is going to play in your deck and how you think your games are going to play out. Next up, how do you rate Sky Swimmer Koi with or without Containment Construct Synergy? It is a relatively undesirable filler card if you don't have Containment Construct, somewhat regardless of how many artifacts you have. If you do have Containment Construct, the first construct makes Koi somewhat better. The second construct makes Koi actively desirable. As how far out of your way you should be going and play the like construct Koi package, I probably wouldn't cut any of the 10 cards that I identified as premium commons for blue-black for any part of that package. But if you were going to play any of the kind of like second tier lethal exploit, Dakuchi Shadow Walker type cards, you could certainly play Sky Swimmer Koi ahead of those cards if you have containment constructs. So it's kind of like third tier that can shift in second tier with synergy, I guess, is the answer. I think this archetype is good, but honestly, I think it's so good that it ends up being pretty straightforward. So not too much more to dive into, I suppose. So this is going to be a relatively short uh, episode, and that is fine. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, we will be back next week with the final archetype from Neon Dynasty, and then 
uh, that time out perfectly for getting into new kind of the following week, after which I expect that I will have played a paper release and uh, we will be getting ready for the online arena release of uh, New Capenna. So looking forward to all of that. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I'll be back next week to dive into Green White in Neon Dynasty. Have a good one.